The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So deliver us, life in the victory of Jesus. We have spent seven weeks on the world, the flesh, and the devil. Seven weeks on the spiritual battle that is real. Seven weeks on experiencing the victory, the joy, the freedom, and the hope of Jesus. And I hope these seven weeks have been encouraging for you. I hope that um, all of our eyes have been open to the reality of the victory of Jesus. I hope that we are seeing the works of the devil destroyed in our lives. And that's why James... The younger brother of Jesus wrote this about his own older brother. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Just kidding. That was not James. That was John, the beloved disciple. Who's going to correct me if I say the wrong thing? Say, that's not James, it's John. (laughs) It was John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, uh, said those words. And and John had seen it. John had, had witnessed Jesus defeating the schemes of the enemy in his own life and knew that that was Jesus's main focus. And so we're gonna, we're, today we're gonna see that we, not just what we're freed from, so this is how we wanna end the series, not, not just what we're freed from, but who we are freed to. Today I want us to see that we're, we've been delivered from darkness, but it's not just about being delivered from darkness. It's not just about what we're delivered from, but it's who we're delivered to. See, today I would say this, it's not enough to be set free. We're called to be filled. And it was early on, weeks and weeks ago, when we were kind of developing this series, where we knew that this was an important week, that we wanted to end the series with this, that it's not enough to be set free, but we're called to be filled. Or maybe I should say something like this, that true freedom is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My hope today is that each of us would see that true freedom is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have attended North Langley for a while. You will have heard this story. I think I shared it the last time several years ago. But my brother and I shared a car in our early 20s. Now, I should say this. It was his car. He owned the car. That's very important as you hear the story. Uh, He is ultimately responsible for the car. Anyway, we were sharing the car. I may have been driving the car more often at the time, but he owned it. Now, the two of us were on a freeway in Oklahoma. We were driving and uh, I-35, and on I-35, uh, the car, you know, the engine starts going bah, 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 on the freeway. We're like, whoa. So we pull off the freeway, but we pull into a Walgreens parking lot. Like, what just happened? And then it turns out we had not put oil in it, and ever. And I was like, how long has he owned the car? And I, true story, I remember, I was like, he at least had it for three years, at least. And we're not sure before then, or if there was longer than that. But anyway, so he and I had never touched the oil on the car, and, uh, but we had been faithful to put gasoline in it. Uh, that's not enough. And uh, so then we were arguing, you know, I was like, well, you own the car. It's up to you to change the oil. And he's like, you use it all the time. So anyway, so we were having that. And then we walked away from the car. And for a few weeks, it just stayed in this parking lot at the Walgreens. And then one day we drove by in a different car and realized it wasn't there anymore. And so that's how it got fixed. That's how the story ends. Just somebody took care of our issue. I don't know who it was. Could have been the city. Don't know. But one day it was gone. And uh, my brother was like, my CDs. He had left a pack of CDs. That was the only thing that he was lamenting. Um, Anyway, that was a good life lesson for the two of us in our early 20s. We have to put oil in the car. Now, 
I, I bring this up to say uh, to change the oil is not simply to remove old oil, right? It's to put new oil in. So it's not enough to say, I removed the black, thick, sludgy oil. That's partly good, but the job's not done. It's not great yet, right? You must fill your car with new oil, right? Your car does not run on nothing. This is the lesson I came to learn, right, with my brother. Your car does not run on nothing. And this is true in the spiritual realm. See, to be free is not simply to be freed from sin or freed from hurtful ideologies or freed from some form of darkness or freed from the demonic. That's great, but it's not enough. True freedom is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we know you are here, that you're moving in the room, that you're ready to fill our lives. And we pray you would come and do that. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill our lives with the love of God. And we pray that um, all of us, with our, um, with our sin, with our temptations, with our moments of testing and trials, would find this deep healing in, the, in your presence, God in the presence of our Father that loves us deeply. And we know that you're delighted to pour out your love through the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would do that today. Heal us, God. We thank you and love you. Amen. Okay, friends, who's ready for an incredible passage of Scripture? Luke 11. Would you turn your Bibles to Luke 11? Um, if you're not yet awake, you will be awoken by this passage. This is an unreal passage of scripture. Um, we'll read Luke 11, verses 14 to 26. And for any of you who are new to Christianity, we'll take some time to explain this, because this is pretty deep and pretty wild. Here we go. Luke 11, starting in verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs>
Welcome to church. <laughs> Let's dive into this story. What a wild story, right? Can I get an amen? You can amen. That's a wild story. You can admit that, right? This is, this is incredible. What do we do with a story like this? Well, Jesus, with great love, heals a man, okay? So he casts a demon out of a man, a demon that had kept the man, uh, demon, this demon had kept this man from speaking. And this is love in action, right? This is Jesus at work. But some in the crowd accuse Jesus of being on the same team as Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now, we'll say more about him in a second. But what they're accusing Jesus of is they're saying, you can do this because you're working in cooperation with the demonic, right? And we'll, and we'll address that accusation in a second. Okay, a quick note on the name Beelzebul. So various names have been given to the enemy of God, and this is one of them. Beelzebul is, is one of these names. Remember, uh, Satan just means accuser. Uh, the devil is diabolos. Uh, that means slanderer, right? So they're just, all these are titles for this spiritual being. Beelzebul, as a name, I believe, comes from a combination of two Hebrew words. So uh, Baal, which is Lord, and Zebul, which is exalted dwelling. So in the Bible, some of you are familiar with Baal. We say Baal or Baal, right? He was a name given to the Canaanite fertility god who tempted and stood against the people of Israel. Some of you remember this epic showdown on a mountain called Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 um, with uh, the prophet Elijah. So, so see, Baal is, just means Lord. So this dark power just was called Lord. And it's an exalted spiritual being who seeks to be Lord. Now, a slightly similar version of this word, not the same, but similar, was made famous in the song Bohemian Rhapsody uh, by Queen, right? Where many of you will know the lyrics are, quote, Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me, for me, for me. And then what do we do? Headbang. Yeah, that's right. Right. So, and then everyone starts headbanging uh, with the Queen guitar solo. So, but on a serious note, now listen to the lyrics of that song, right? Some of you know the song that Freddie Mercury uh, wrote is about a character in the song who feels a few things, absolutely trapped, has made a terrible mistake. He has put something or someone to death as he pulls the trigger. He's trapped in nihilism where nothing matters. He feels poor and he cannot escape from reality, right? The, the character is somehow attached to something dark and demonic, so that one of the lines of the song is, there's a devil that's put aside for him, that he's so far gone, he's in such a dark place that he feels like there's a devil attached to him, right? This is a character who is trapped, right? And this connects us to the man in this story, right? who is trapped, and he's trapped spiritually, but also physically. It's like this, this man has had this, needs this healing that is both spiritual and physical at the same time. This, this, this healing from a dark spirit that is controlling his body. Okay, now back to Jesus being falsely accused for working for Beelzebul. We read this. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. 
Some of you will know a very famous speech on June 16th, 1858, as the United States was growing further and further divided on the issue of slavery. Abraham Lincoln gave a speech in Illinois that included these words from Luke 11. Quote, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. Lincoln is riffing on Jesus here, right? Saying this is not going to work, right? It's true. A house divided against itself will fall. And Satan is not getting Jesus to fight against the demonic. That doesn't work. As David Garland puts it, why would Satan deputize Jesus to wreak havoc in his own domain? That's foolish. It's, it's illogical, and it would make him weak. So Jesus is saying, I'm not setting people free of demons while simultaneously working for the prince of demons. Is this all making sense so far? This is where Jesus is going here. A little later in the story, Jesus goes on to say this, when a strong man fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now that little last line, we're going to get into that in a second. So hold that thought. But let's go back into this break and enter scene. <laughs> Do you notice that? It's pretty, pretty intense. So, What's the scene Jesus is describing here? So there's a strong man who's armed, and he's guarding his house. So imagine there's a, uh, a very strong man who has weapons, and he's guarding his own house, okay? But a stronger man shows up, right? And the stronger man attacks and overpowers that strong man. And he takes away his armor, and he divides the plunder. Okay, I love this. Who's the strong man who's armed? Satan, right? Who's the stronger man who shows up and attacks Satan and overpowers Satan and divides Satan's plunder? Jesus, right? Jesus. Again, we need to start removing any kind of mental images of hippie Jesus from our mind. Jesus is the stronger man who shows up with this incredible break and enter moment and kicks the strong man out of the house. Jesus is stronger. He's the stronger man. If the world was the devil's house, Jesus performed the most incredible break and enter in history because at the cross, Jesus was disarming Satan. At the cross, Jesus moved into the world, Satan's dominion, his house, overpowers him and takes over. So in Colossians 2, we read, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, if Satan was holding the world hostage, Jesus is the stronger man who would not negotiate with the thief. He's not going to negotiate. He, he moves into the domain of the thief. And he destroys his armor, and he rescues the treasure. Now, why do I say treasure? Because that word plunder is the same word for treasure. And what does Jesus get? He gets his treasure. And who's his treasure? You are. Jesus gets what 
is rightfully his. It's you. You're his treasure. And then we read this. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Now, um, okay, why am I smiling? Uh, stop smiling, Matthew. But I'm, smi I'm partly smiling because it's passages like this where in our modern world, we're just like, what is going on here, right? Like this challenges how we view the world, right? And we're like, what? A, a demon is cast out of a man. It flies around in the air, collects seven stronger demons, and then repossesses this person? Like, what is happening? So here's the deal. Jesus is describing someone who has this dark spirit sent out of their life. Okay. Then this person's house, which I take to mean their, their life, their heart, their mind, their soul. So then their house is swept clean, right? It's put in order. It's like, oh, okay. That's good. There's nothing dark there now. It's wonderful. But I think Jesus is getting at the question, is this person's life truly better off? Now, immediately we'd be like, yes. Right? They have a dark spirit sent out of their life. That's amazing, right? But I think Jesus is really kind of poking. Is that the right word? <laughs> He's just kind of going, hold on. Is this person really better off in this neutral space? Because I think when he talks about a, a house clean, put in order, oh, nice and tidy, right? Is this neutral space even possible? Is this a good place to be in? And I think Jesus would actually say no to that. No, why not? Because there's all kinds of spiritual beings who are looking for a place to live, right? And I'm going I'm to describe this more in a second and give us some examples, but they're moving around looking for a life to inhabit. And what, the, what they do is they swing back around in this story into this person's life with such force that the darkness is multiplied by seven times. Okay, what's happening? Okay. I think this is what Jesus is saying. And by the way, this passage is quite mysterious, but in the effort to try to understand this, reading some you know, Bible scholars and theologians, I think this is kind of where Jesus is headed. So I hope this is helpful. He says this. He's saying nothing is neutral. You and I are always serving someone or something. As Dylan says, right? Everyone's got to serve somebody. Nothing is neutral. Every human being on the planet is serving someone, following something. Nothing is neutral. Right? And here's the deal. Your heart cannot be empty for long. When there is a vacuum, something will fill it. I want to say that again. Your heart cannot be empty for long. When there is a vacuum, something will fill it. New Testament Bible scholar David Garland says it this way, quote, evil abhors a vacuum and seizes every opportunity to take over human lives. Now, let me, let me start to describe this, and I think as I describe it, you'll resonate with it, and you'll be like, oh, I've seen this before. Okay, let me just try, let me try like four different scenarios out with you. Number one, example number one, 
Imagine this has maybe happened in your life or a friend's life, right? Where you're freed from the darkness of addiction, let's say to, to alcohol, let's say. So you're freed from the darkness of addiction to alcohol. And you worked hard, right, to get to that point where that darkness is gone. It's amazing. The darkness of that addiction is gone. Your house is swept clean, put in order. It's amazing, right? But here's, here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Without God, that neutral space won't last long. Why? Because, quote, evil abhors a vacuum and seizes every opportunity to take over. See, something's going to fill that space. What's going to fill that space? And, and, and what seems to happen, and I'm just going to give you a potential scenario, is all of a sudden a spirit of pride moves in. And then a spirit of workaholism moves in and fills the emptiness. And the idol of a certain vision of success moves in. And one day you're sitting there and you're going, oh my goodness, like I got freed from an alcohol addiction, but now I feel like absolutely taken over by pride, by workaholism, by a vision of success. And it was almost like in the way I mastered <laughs> that freedom from alcohol, now I feel like I'm being mastered by these other things. So I threw off the chain of addiction, but now I'm bound almost to these deeper levels of narcissism than ever before. So the God of alcohol addiction leaves, but the gods of pride, narcissism, workaholism, they, they swoop in. See how that works? Martin Emmerich says this, quote, it is not enough to have the power of one ruler routed. One must swear allegiance to the new sovereign. One must choose between kingdoms. It's the empty tenement that invites squatters. Look at that. It's the empty tenement, the empty apartment, the empty place, right, that invites squatters. Look, there's a free spot. I'm just going to slide on in there, right? And he's saying you have to make a choice between allegiance. You're going to have to serve somebody. Life is not neutral. Make a choice. There's two kingdoms. There's two kinds of rulers in the world, right? All the rulers of this age who do not have your best in mind or the king of kings. Example number two, and this is from my life. As I mentioned many times, uh, that there was this freedom that I experienced in 2006 from pornography that was very powerful in my life. And it's like, okay, good. The darkness, all the darkness that went with that, the pornography is gone. And the house gets swept clean, put in order. But, but if I am not filled with the presence of God, there are all kinds of spirits who want to take over that empty space, right? Because evil abhors a vacuum and seizes every opportunity to take over a human life. It's the empty tenement that invites squatters. And, and what does this look like for me? Well, what kind of dark spirits want to move in? to a clean house, right? And so fear is one that wants to move in right? and, 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 and just grip my life as I think about the access that my kids will have to pornography, right? And I f have fear around that. Fear of what, of what this will mean for my, for my children, right? A legalism around rules and addiction to screens. 
I might be a nice person to you and I might say hello to you in the church foyer, but I've got this crazy legalism thing in me, right? And my friends will be like, yes, he does. He sure does, right? And that's a, that's a problem for me, right? That, that's that, that the power of, a, of, of rule-based, you know? And partly because I found freedom through following a lot of rules around pornography. And so then, but this legalism comes in and then this fear seeks to come in. And this growing anger also wants to come in. Why? At culture, at the world. I just want to get mad at the world. Like, what a messed up world we're living in, right? I just am so frustrated with it, you know? And so now, if I allow that to happen, if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, then the God, the God of pornography had left, but the gods of control and fear and legalism and anger move in. And I'm seven times worse off than before. And in some ways worse off because I don't even see some of those things. The pornography was more obvious, but this stuff, right? There's this self-righteousness to it. And his house is worse off than before. See how this works? Is this making sense? As Tim Keller said it, he said, we're, what we're doing is we're trying to put our house in order without God. That's what we're trying to do. And it doesn't work ultimately. So this is not just what we're freed from, it's who we're freed to. Who, who is the one who is filling every inch of your life with the love of God? It's the Spirit, right? Example number three. Um, deconstruction has been very popular in the last number of years as we're talking about what it looks like to kind of think critically through faith. I know some of you who are here today might be really struggling as you're walking a deconstruction journey where you're critiquing faith, you're asking hard questions about what you've been told by your parents maybe or by, um, by the church. And there is a, a version of deconstruction that's quite healthy, certain bad views of seeing God and, you know, we want to walk away from some of those. Um, unhelpful ways of reading the Bible, all of that. It, there could be a healthy piece to that. But there is a, there's a larger, very unhealthy piece where, where many people, like my own age, um, that I've, many of my friends walked away from God, right? And so, in, in just turning from God. Now that's a whole story and there's a whole thing we could talk about there, but, but here's the deal, I think what when I look at those who are deconstructing, the hope is, is that they would then arrive at a neutral place, right? It's kind of like this agnosticism that seems comfortable. And it's like, well, I'm gonna walk away from the faith that I grew up with, and I'm gonna enter a neutral space, right? It's kind of this empty space agnosticism. And I'd like to argue that that neutrality is an illusion. And I'm not saying that this has not been very difficult and very hard, and that's almost a sermon for another day. We can talk about that. But if the hope is that you would arrive at a, new, a neutral space, I really would encourage um, all of us to think about that, and to say, is it truly neutral? Is that a neutral place? How, how long does that neutrality last there? Because evil abhors a vacuum and seizes every opportunity to take over a human life. And quote, it is the empty tenement that invites squatters. And so I would say, actually, what is moving in to that space? What ideologies are moving in to your life? In, in the vacuum, or that empty space, what lies are starting to move in to your heart and your mind? You see how this works? 
This is, this is my best understanding of what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching that true freedom is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first week of our series, um, I talked about what you're opening up your life to. And this is my fourth example today. Um, by the way, have you noticed every time I put up fingers, I, I shake them? I didn't notice that till right now, and I'm unsure why I do that. Just, just having a self-reflective moment. So the second thing I want to say, the third thing I want to say, and then the fourth thing I want to say. I'm like, what is going on? Anyway, it's very interesting. I'll work on that. I promise. It's my commitment to you. Um, the fourth image that I want to talk about is this idea of, thank you, of handing over the keys of my house to something. And, and this is really, this is, this is pretty heavy, but I want to ask this. Who has the keys to your heart, mind, will, emotions, habits, relationships, right? Who has, the, who has this authority in your life? And I want to get specific here. Have you opened your life to other spirits? And I just want to, some of you might be brand new to Jesus, new to Christianity, and so this is a pretty heavy question. Because um, many in our culture have dabbled with some of these things. So have you experienced um, or some, had some time dabbling in the occult, in Ouija boards, card reading, palm reading, horoscopes? Right? Let me ask it this way. Have you opened up your life in any supernatural way or spiritual way to anything that is not Jesus? In week one, I was kind of focused on this, if you'll remember, if you were part of our series in week one. And if so, if you've opened up your life in any way to these things, we need to be reminded that these practices, the reason why Christians turn from these practices is because we do not know who we're opening up our life to in the spiritual realm. Because there are all kinds of spirits that would love to make their home in us, right? And we don't know who we're talking to. Who are you talking to on the other end right, of that phone line, as it were? Right? What spirits are you allowing to influence your life? You know, the stars do not carry your fate. I just want you to know that. Only the king of kings knows your fate and is the one who wants to guide you in the life that you live. Right? It's not the stars. It's not the planets. It's, it's, it's a king who suffered on Calvary, gave up his life, poured out his blood, who wants to lead you and guide you into all truth and wants to guide you in his way that leads to life and life everlasting. And the only, only spirit we are to open up our life to is the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of the God who loves you and holds your life in, his, in the palm of his hands, right? And so, again, it's not... And so if we have been involved in some of these things I just mentioned, right? The occult, Ouija boards, card reading, palm reading, horoscopes, any of that. We, it's, this is not a moment of condemnation. It's a moment where the spirit brings this conviction and we say, okay, we're not going to mess with that stuff anymore. We're going to turn away from that. And we're going to turn to who? Right? We're going to turn to the spirit of God to be filled. True freedom is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you keeners are like, why do you keep talking about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is nowhere in this passage. 
And I would like to say, you are wrong, my friend. You are so wrong. Um, turn to Luke 11. So if you, if you have your Bible, could you turn to Luke 11? Or if you have a digital, just turn to Luke 11. We're going to do a little Bible study moment here. See verse 14, Luke 11, 14. Jesus was driving out a demon. Well, you probably have a heading on top of that. You see your heading? Probably says something like Jesus and Beelzebul or something like that. Well, what's right before that? Someone shout it out. The Lord's Prayer, that's right. Jesus is teaching on prayer. And how does he end his teaching on prayer? You got this. There's like 500 of us here. We could do this. Who? who, who? What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Do you notice that? Look at right before that. Like, just, you know, that title in the Bible, the passage where it says Jesus and Beelzebub or whatever, that's not there in the Greek, okay? So this is the same passage. Notice verses 11 to 13. Let me read them. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? By the way, this is a great Christmas passage for all of you parents looking to get gifts for your children. So which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, I always love that line, though you are evil, just a little throwaway line. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, here it is, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. Do you see the connection? This is all about the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is why Luke has put these stories together here. This is what he wants us to see. God is a good father who is delighted to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Christianity is not just about what we are freed from, it's who we are freed to. And our series, Deliver Us, is we are delivered not just by um, what dark spirits are removed from our life, we are delivered by the filling of the Holy Spirit. True freedom comes as we're just overwhelmed in a beautiful way by the love of God, by the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what it's about. And a, a few weeks ago, in September, I shared with you uh, a famous sermon that was preached 200 years ago. Um, and I've been thinking about this sermon a lot in the last couple months. But Thomas Chalmers, the Scottish pastor and theologian, preached a sermon with the title, quote, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. He was making the argument that the best way to live a life of freedom from all the sin and temptation and problems in the world is not to fight against the sin and temptation and problems of the world. That's futile. It does not work. Chalmers argued that the best way to live this life of freedom was to fall in love with something better and more beautiful and higher, who is God himself. He argued that we need a new affection. He, he wrote the following, quote, the love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness, but may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. What is he saying? He's saying the world's not going to be changed by a pastor getting up on stage and talking about how bad the world is, right? The world is terrible. Have you seen the world? And we're all like, we've seen the world. Thank you. It's the... Lives are changed when the Spirit moves and fills us 
with the divine love of God, right? Where all of a sudden, this love has supplanted all other loves. That we now know the love that is higher than all other loves, which is the love of God for you. You're not going to be rid of the sin and temptation of the world by focusing on how bad they are. You will be frustrated and angry all the time. They will only be supplanted by a love that is higher and more lovely than any other love. And so I think this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, yeah, sure, there's ways in which darkness flees, but what fills your house? What's filling your house? What, what, What new affection or new love hits our life with this expulsive power to it? What does that mean exactly? Well, it means when we have a new love or affection, it naturally expels and eliminates loves that shouldn't be there. It has the power to eliminate other loves. Um, I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, this has happened in my life uh, by having children. Three kids that I love deeply, and... I realized that there were a lot of things when this love, when the love of these three kids came into my life, there were some things that I stopped doing naturally, right? That there was this expulsive power of a new affection. This new affection for my kids came in. This expulsive power got rid of a bunch of stuff. And not all of it bad. You know, for example, uh, four-hour risk games. Not part of my life anymore, right? (laughs) It's just... They got expelled because there's no way I can play risk for four to five hours or longer, right? With these three little kids. Now, this love for them means that it's my time with them. And um, this summer, it was funny. My dad looked at me and he goes, Matthew, what are your hobbies? And I just stared blankly back at him. And I was like, hobbies? (laughs) My dad has great hobbies. He's like paints and pottery and writes novels. And I just felt so like void of an answer when he asked me that. And I was like, okay, so I'm like pastoring and then, I, and then three kids. I could, he's like, oh, so your hobbies are Lucy, Ellen, Micah. I'm like, exactly. Those, are, those, those have become my hobbies, right? But this, this, is the, this is what happens. And I'm okay with that. It's the expulsive power of a new affection. So back to Jesus. The expulsive power of a new affection is deliverance. This is how we're delivered from evil. I'm filled with him. I'm filled with a deep love for him. I'm filled with his spirit. And so I want to end with this. You see, this is not just healing from addiction. This is being filled with the love of the Father. This is not just healing from bitterness. This is turning toward the Holy Spirit, who is filling us with a heart of forgiveness. This is not just being healed of greed. This is being filled with the richness and wealth of God. This is not just healing from lust. This is being filled with a deep affection God has for you, that you would know how loved you are. So this is not just removing the black, thick, sludgy oil. It's being filled with the new oil of the Spirit of God. Can we stand together? One of my favorite quotes by A.W. Tozer God wants the whole person, and he will not rest till he gets us in entirety. No part of the man will do. And so he wants all of you, wants to fill you fully in this place. If you feel uh, willing to, would you close your eyes and 
If you're new to North Langley, sometimes we put out our hands in front of us like we're receiving a gift. And it's just a way in which we're ready to receive a gift from God. And if so, if you're willing, you can put out your hands in the posture of receiving a gift. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. We know that you're delighted to pour out the love of the Father upon us. And so we pray that you would do that. You told us that we could ask for the gift of your Spirit and that, Father God, you would be delighted to give us the Spirit. And so we pray for that right now. God, I pray for each of my friends in the room that you would fill them That their faith in you would not just be about what they're being healed from, but how they're being healed by you in your presence. Remind each of them of how fearfully and wonderfully made they are, made in your image, made for worship. You're the only one who can satisfy, oh God. Friends, in a couple minutes here, we'll have our prayer teams at the front. They'd love to pray with you about anything, that you'd be filled again with the love of God, prayer for a friend, or anything else. They'd just love to pray for you, to encounter the Lord. And so, God, this is your, this is your time. Just move among us, we pray, that we would have an encounter with you that leads to life.